Good morning. How you guys doing? Yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. We are swell. Um, man, I, I love this time, this opportunity we have as the body of Christ to take 21 days and pray and fast collectively together, seek God, set our hearts on seeking him. And then I love the theme of seeking the Lord with all of our heart and what that means and how we can engage every part of who we are in our pursuit of God. And fasting opens a door for that to create room, create space, give up something, sacrifice something, something that we long for, something that we put seeking energy into, and then take that and give it to Jesus. Amen. And so I'm excited about these next 14 days. We're seven days into it, and, uh, and it's been wonderful. We had a great time of worship on Wednesday night. Come on, how many of you guys were here Wednesday night? That was awesome. Uh, loved that time together to seek God, and we're going to do it again this Wednesday, which is awesome, uh, 7 to 8 p.m., and then the last Wednesday of January, January 31st, uh, we're going to do the a full band, we're going to have the youth, we're going to have the surge kids, everybody with us, a whole church, all worship night on the 31st, so definitely mark your calendars for that. If you can only make one, then please come to that one, it's going to be awesome. Uh, and then we have our prayer meetings. Again, prayer meetings tomorrow. So 6 a.m. here at the church and then 6 p.m. as well. Uh, whatever works best for you and for your schedule, we're going to pray together. And then today I'm going to be sending out a little prayer guide of walking through the Lord's Prayer and how we can use that uh, and follow Jesus' uh, instruction in how to pray. So it's going to be great. Does that sound good? All right. All right. Well, um, as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of an experience I had many years ago uh, in this cold week of negative sub-zero temperatures. Uh, I was reminded of my first time hunting. And uh, I was, I don't know how old I was, I think I was 17 or 18 years old, and I went with a friend of mine, and we were hunting wabbits. We were <laughs> wabbit hunting. It was wabbit season. And so... Uh, we went out, and it was, it was snow on the ground, freezing cold, bitterly cold, right? And I'm out there, and my hands are, like, I feel like they're going to fall off. And I feel like my toes are going to fall off. And we're looking, we're following tracks, and we're waiting, and we're watching, and I'm dying. And this is miserable. I'm like, this is misery. This, this is uh, this has got to be what H-E double hockey sticks is like, okay, you know? It was so cold. And I'm like, why? Why do we submit ourselves to such pain? Um, it wasn't a great experience. Um, but the good thing was that we didn't find anything. Um, so that made it better uh, that we didn't even see an animal, um, the any animal at all. Uh, so, yeah, that made it worth it. Um, so that was my first experience hunting. Uh, I haven't been hunting since. Um, but I know we got a lot of hunters in the room, right? Uh, and and why, so you ask yourself, well, why do you do it? Well, it's the thrill, right? The thrill of the hunt when you do see the animal. That's important. It's important to see the animals. Uh, but when you do, when you're waiting and you're out there and you're, you're following their tracks and you find a good place and you're in your deer stand and maybe it is cold and, and, and you're waiting and watching and looking and then finally... You see the buck come out of the woods. I'm, not, I'm just, just, I'm just pick, painting this picture. I'm not a hunter. I'm sorry. Okay, so the buck comes out, and your heart is racing, right? 
I know this because I watch alone. You know, it's not because I've been hunting. Um, so your heart is racing. And you're like, oh my, oh my gosh, okay, wow, oh, okay. Uh, and so you kind of calm yourself down. You steady your breathing because you don't want to scare the animal off, especially if you're bow hunting because you got to be close, you know, closer than if you use a rifle. And so they're out there, and, and you're, you're watching every movement of the animal. Like you're locked on, and you're waiting for that clear shot, right, where you're not going to be shooting through brush or anything, like I said, like with a bow. And so you're looking, and you're waiting, and you're watching, and then finally it comes to that spot. And then every muscle in your body, you pull back everything in you. Everything is focused in. You're zoomed in. You've set your sights, and the target is there. And every part of you is involved in this process. Your emotions, your heart, your sight, your, your, your muscles, your legs, everything. And then finally, when you're on, you're on point, right at the heart, boom, release. And you hit your target. Euphoria. Right? I know this because I watch alone. <laughs> and they jump around and go crazy. Um, so it happens. I'm using this as a great example for what I'm getting to, okay? Uh, so you hit it. You hit the mark. And, and then it's wonderful and it's amazing. But you didn't get to that place unless you focused all of your attention. You set your sights. You disciplined your body. You brought it into submission to you. You made it do what you wanted it to do in order to hit the target. And you wouldn't have done that unless you had been watching every movement of the animal. And you wouldn't have gotten there unless you had been suffering outside in the cold, waiting to see it. And I think this is a great example of the way we seek the Lord. That we watch and we wait and we, and we look at where God might show up in our lives. Where is he? Where are you, God? Where are you working? When are you doing something? And then when we do see God, our eyes are fixed on him, watching every movement. God, I want to align with you. So I need to know where you're going and what you're doing so I can partner with what you're doing in my life. And then when we see that moment, we zoom in. We set our sights on him. And then we release our worship, our lives, fully surrendered, and we hit the mark of the heart of God. That's what we're after, right? To make his name great. To exalt him. That's why we're here. And so everything in us, it requires all of us. Every part of our lives. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything within us. Colossians 3 says this, verse 1 and 2. Since then, since then, I'm sorry. You have been raised with Christ. Don't say anything. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your hearts, set your minds, set your sights, everything we are, on to Jesus. So that's the title of my message this morning is Set Your Sights. So today, we are kicking off a new series, After God's Heart. All right, and we're asking the question... How do I seek the Lord with all of our heart? Because a couple weeks ago, we kicked off the year, Jeremiah 29, 13, right? He says, if you seek me, you will what? Find me. What a great promise. Man, we seek God. He promises you seek me, you will find me. We're talking about the creator of the universe, the source of everything that is good, of all life and purpose and meaning. Everything is in him. 
And he says, I give you this promise. If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. So how do we do that? How do we thread God-seeking, weave God-seeking into every aspect of the human experience? Because that's what he's inviting us to do. And so as I was preparing, I was thinking through the Bible and different characters in the Bible that would exemplify this. Who's someone that was really a seeker of God, that really did this? They sought the Lord with all their heart. And I mean, you guys know, you guys know exactly who I'm going to say. And it's King David, right? God described him as a man after my own heart. I mean, when God gives someone that title, that's a pretty serious deal, right? So David was the ultimate seeker of God. Now, was David perfect? No, <laughs> Absolutely not. He made lots of mistakes in his life. He went through a lot of hardship in his life too. And so seeking God and be passionate about seeing God doesn't keep us from hardship. And it doesn't mean that we'll never make mistakes. But David was a seeker of the Lord. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to look at the patterns of his life and see what we can learn from his example. So as I was looking at the life of, of David, I realized that he did find a way to weave this God-seeking into three primary aspects of the human experience. Number one, his heart. He put seeking God at the center of his heart, the seat of all human emotion, the core of who we are, right? Where our conviction, our conscience, our moral excellence comes from. Right? He found a way to put seeking God at the center of who he was. Everything that he thought and felt in his life flowed from this center of seeking God. It was an access point that his whole life oriented around. His, his mind, will, and emotions all flowed from that core value of seeking God. So he did that in his heart, but then he also put seeking God at the center of his dream, of his hope, his future. His destiny, that was at the center of everything that he dreamed for and he longed for, seeking God, was right at the center of that. And everything oriented around seeking the Lord. And then he put seeking God at the center of his legacy, the impact that he would leave on the world, his purpose, his significance, meaning in life. All of it was centered around Seeking God. So seeking God was at the center of his heart, his dreams, and his legacy. Everything that we aspire towards in life, somehow he put it at the center. And that speaks to one of our values as a church, our value for growth. The value for growth is about orienting our lives around God. That everything in our life centers around this core aspect of seeking him. So every part was there. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at each one of those. But today I want to look at his heart. How did he put seeking God at the center? And so in order to do that, I want to start with that phrase, that description of David that God uses, a man after my own heart. Well, what does that mean? Where does that come from? So the first place we see it is 1 Samuel chapter 13. In verse 14, and here's a little bit of the context of what's going on here. So Saul was the first king of Israel. Now, the Israelites wanted a king, and God told them, hey, 
I'm your king. I'm the one who's ruling over you. You don't need a king. I'm the one who is your king. And they're like, no, we don't want you, God. We want a king like all the other nations because we want to be like them. They're cool. And God's like, all right. So God gives them a king, gives them what they want, tells Samuel the prophet, choose Saul. He's, he's the guy I've chosen. And then Saul becomes our king. And he starts out really well. But then he becomes the ultimate failure and, and doesn't obey God and doesn't follow through with what God asks him to do. So God's like, all right, I'm going to find somebody else. And I'm going to take the kingdom from you, Saul, and give it to someone else. And this is where our story picks up in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom will not endure. This is Samuel talking to Saul. Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now what's so amazing about that it says the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And we said this a couple weeks ago, God is seeking for those who are seeking him. He's looking for those who are looking for him. And he finds one. He's referring to David. He said, I've sought out and I've found a man who is after my own heart. 1 Kings 11.4 describes David's heart. It says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. But in his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So it describes his heart as fully devoted. Another translation says his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. So David's heart is described as wholly true and fully devoted. So his conscience, his conviction, and his moral excellence was all centered around seeking God. He could not shake that conviction. He had to seek the Lord. Even when he made terrible, horrible mistakes, he still ran to God. He didn't run from him. He ran to him when he failed God. And he fell down at it on his knees and at God's feet. And cried out for mercy. He never ran from him. Always to him. No matter what happened in his life. David had this conviction. I have to seek the Lord. And it started at a young age. When he was a teenager. He was out in the fields watching the sheep. And he would sing songs to God. He would write songs on his harp. And sing out to the Lord. And, 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 and pour out his heart to God. And see God in nature. And all around the world around him. And, and his heart was dedicated. And no one was watching him. This was private. This was just him and the Lord. And God saw that. And he honored it. And he, so it started at a very, very young age. But then throughout his life, even with every ebb and flow of life, he had some high times. He had some very, very low times. He always sought the Lord. Even when his own men were turned against him. And he had no one. And they wanted to kill him. The people that were most loyal to him. Even in that part that moment of his life, the Bible says that David went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He sought the Lord again. That's what he always came back to in victories and failures and successes and heartbreak, always back to this conviction of seeking God. So David was, a, was like a, a heart-seeking missile. He was locked on to the heart of God, and he wanted it. 
And another translation of that, of that phrase, a man after God's own heart, that word after doesn't just mean seeking because he obviously, we know he was a seeker of God, but it also means in the likeness of. And so David's heart was like God's heart. It was similar. They had similar hearts. And that word heart there is also used for conscience. So David had certain moral conviction that aligned with God's sense of what is right and wrong and righteous in the world. And man, David was devoted to righteousness. I mean, you read the Psalms. Psalms 119 is a great Psalm. I mean, David was passionate about the Lord's commands, about being a man of integrity, even when no one was watching, keeping his eyes from evil, being pure hearted. And so, yeah, he had a conviction that aligned with God's conviction as well. So the question is, how do we, how do we follow David, what do we learn from him, and how can we seek God the way he did? So the best place to learn about what's in someone's heart is by reading their journal, right? Like I would steal my sister's journal and diary all the time, and I'd be like, ooh, you like so-and-so, ooh, and then she would hit me, and, you know, and then she would sit on me with her knees on my shoulders, and then she would hock a loogie, and then she would hang it down right in front of my face and then suck it up before it fell on me. I still have trauma, still. So, Brittany, if you're listening, that's what you did to me. Um, So, what what am I talking about? All right. (laughs) Okay, so we're looking at the journal. That's right. David's journal. So, it's the Psalms. I mean, you look at the Psalms. This is David pouring out his heart to God, writing poems and songs and just telling God how he feels. Man, David was brutally honest with God sometimes. I mean, he would blame God for stuff. Like, God, you're crushing me. You set yourself against me. It's all your fault. And then he would say, but I know I can trust you, and it's not really your fault. And I'm just emotional right now, and you're amazing, and I know you'll come through. And, but, but he was honest with God. And so let's look at the Psalms. Psalms 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing I ask, a petition. One thing, this only do I, what? Seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, may gaze upon his beauty and seek him in his temple. Number one, it comes to seeking God, being heart seekers. He made, David made his chief desire and petition, seeing God. David made his chief desire and petition to see God. What did he say? The one thing that I seek is to what? Dwell in your presence, gaze upon your beauty, and seek you in your temple. He wanted to be with him, to see him, and to seek him. That was his number one prayer. That was his number one petition. The thing that he wanted most from God was to be with him, to see him, and to seek him. More than anything else, 
And you think about it, there's, there isn't any more authentic expression of love for someone than a desire to simply be with them, right? You just, I just want to be with them. I just want to be with, I mean, they don't have to do anything for you. You don't have to do anything for them. You just want to be with someone. I mean, that's an authentic expression of love, right? It's, uh, it's like that saying, you know, it's so good to see you, right? It's so good to see you, just literally just to see you. Like there is a sense of contentment and joy and fulfillment just because I get to see you in person. And I know that we can use that word and not completely mean it. Oh, it's so good to see you. Um, But when we mean it, it's so good to see you, to be with you. That's enough. And then when we, and then what do we do? When we see someone that we love, we, we embrace them. And we're content in that moment being with them. But then what do we do? We talk. We, we converse. We, we want to share life with that person. And this was David's heart. It was just so pure. There wasn't any other mixed in things. I just want to be with you. To gaze on you. To seek you. I want you. Not what you can do for me. I, I want you. So I want us to take a moment. Just close your eyes. Take a moment, and I want you to think about your petitions, your requests of God, your prayers. What do they center around? What is the the primary, the core of your prayer life? When you go to God and you ask God for something, what is that thing? What What is the most common thread that you see when you go to God in prayer? I know for me, typically it has to do with I'm asking for grace, wisdom, guidance, um, asking for God's blessing on something that I'm about to do or something I'm about to be a part of. Um, sometimes I'm praying for other people. But look at David's prayer. Look at his number one petition. It was to be with him, to see him, and to seek him. You guys can open your eyes. So how do we come to that place? Because life demands so many things from us that it's most natural to come to God with requests about the demands that are happening on us in our life and saying, God, can you help me with this? And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. God wants us to come to him, absolutely. But where, how do we get to that place where the number one thing that we ask of the Lord is to just to be with him and to see him? Look at Moses. It wasn't just David. Moses, his prayer. What does he say? He said, Lord, show me your glory. I mean, Moses heard from God, like his audible voice. That's, I mean, that's crazy. He had seen a cloud come down on the mountain and shake it, and God was in it, speaking to him audibly. He had seen the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. He had seen all the wonders in Egypt. And yet, what does he ask? Show me your glory. Because he couldn't get enough. Because once you taste and you see that God is good, you want more. And Moses had more than anybody. And then he still said, show me your glory. 
I want more of you. Because seeing God was so essential for David, he looked to him for everything, and he looked for him in everything. He wanted to see him so bad that he would look to God for every essential need of his life. Everything that he needed, he went to the Lord for it. And then he wanted to see him so bad that he would look for God in every aspect of his experience, in every moment and context of his life, because he was so desperate to see God. The truth is we are all seeking something, always. We are always putting seeking energy into something for a couple of different things. Our needs, we're seeking something to meet our needs, like actual physical needs, whether it be uh, food, clothing, money, relationships, acceptance, things of that nature, right? But then we're also seeking different things to meet our longings, our desires, right? And so always, every single day, every day, whether we're conscious of it or unconscious of it, we are seeking something to meet a need or a longing in our life. And so seeking God with all of our heart isn't simply adding that to our lives. It's subtracting that seeking energy from all of those other different directions and making it singular. Does that make sense? It's saying, instead of seeking my needs to be met through this job or through this, um, this person or through this experience or then my longings of my heart to be met in a relationship or in an ambition or an accomplishment, instead of those things being the objects that I am seeking after, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from that and I'm going to take that energy and put it towards Jesus. And the idea is this one singular desire, a heart that's undivided, right? Because in 1 John 2, it says that we can't have love for God and love for the world at the same time. You can only love one thing at a time and give all of your attention to one thing. You can't divide your heart. It's going to be God. It's going to be this. What is it? And so God's saying, hey, take all of that and put your energy on seeking me. So, number one was he made his chief desire and petition seeing God. Number two, how do we get to a place of singularity in our hearts? Number two, he looked to God for his essential needs. So we take the needs first, right, that we have in life, and we look to the Lord to meet our needs, right? We cast our cares, our worries, our concerns upon him. We don't take ownership of those things. We trust God for those things in his direction in our life and are obedient to him. Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's the stronghold. He's the place. He's the refuge. He has everything that I need and I go to him. Not only do we place this magnet, we talked about a couple weeks ago how our treasures, where our heart is, our tre where our treasures are, our, wait, let me say that again. Where our treasure is, our heart will be. There we go. Wherever we put our treasures, our heart is drawn to those things. So if our treasure is in the hands of God, then our heart is drawn to him. But not only that, our worries, cares, and concerns can draw away our heart's attention just as much as our treasures. Right? How much time do we spend worrying about things? 
Thinking about our worries, talking about our worries and concerns, trying to fix things that we're worried about and anxious about, right? A lot of our time, a lot of our heart's attention are on those things. And God also says, hey, don't just give me your treasures, give me your worries. Give me your cares. Give me your concerns. Cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. Come to me, everyone who is weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. Learn from me because I'm meek and humble in heart. Jesus is saying, hey, I don't just want all of your attention, all of your treasures, but give me your worries, your cares, your fears, your concerns. Throw those to me too. I want to take that too. In David's life, when worries arose and things came up that were deeply concerning, like his men wanting to kill him, that's, you know, it's concerning. Concerning when someone wants to kill you. He took that worry and concern, and he went to the Lord. He didn't try to fix it. He said first. He prayed first. That was his first reaction. He, it was like he prayed and then thought. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm going to pray first so I can lose ownership. And then I'm going to listen to your direction and follow you. Psalms 34, 8 through 10 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So we seek God for safety, refuge. We seek him for guidance, wisdom. We seek him for provision, all of the essential needs of our lives. The first place that we go, and listen, this is not, I'm not saying this is easy, and I'm not saying that I do it all the time either, but this is what we see God inviting us into. Will you seek me first? Jesus says this, don't worry about anything. That's a huge command. What? Nothing? Like, not anything at all? Are you sure? Don't worry about anything, in like including what you're going to eat, drink, or wear. You know, like food and clothing. Don't worry about that. Not a big deal. What does he say? After these things, the Gentiles seek. Those who don't seek me, they seek these things. They try to make sure that they have all their needs met. He said, no, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Come to me first, and I'll make sure that all these things are added to you. So we look to God for our essential needs. This is how we put seeking God at the center of our hearts. Number three, he looked for God, for God everywhere and in everything, and he found him. He found God everywhere. Why? Because he was looking for him, and God has the promise. You look for me, you're going to find me. And David found him. Psalm 63, 1 through 8. Listen to this. Just take this in. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. 
I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. There it is, our provision. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. He was so desperate to see him that he constantly sought him. David sought God everywhere in the sanctuary, in his home, in his bed, in hard times, in good times. He sought God. And then he found him everywhere. He found him in nature. He would talk about seeing God's imprint on the skies and the stars and the trees and the mountains and the valleys and the rivers. I see you. I see your image. I see your handprint on nature. I see you in the people, the festive throng going up to the temple and worshiping God. He constantly saw God everywhere because he was seeking for him everywhere and he found him everywhere and in hardships when things were hard he would he would see God's hand forming him and growing him and developing trust within him and then when things were good he gave God all the credit for every victory God you were the one who was victorious you're the one who brought us through this always finding God but he was always actively looking in all those areas. It's like, have you guys ever heard of the, the I Spy God game? You guys, I Spy, right? You guys know I Spy? I Spy with my little eye, something that is my comfrey, you know, or whatever. That's a hard one. Um, but you spy things, right? You look for something and you find it. Well, there, uh, my old group leader said this. He he took us together, um, and to start off our group, he said, okay, we're going to play a little I Spy God game, and so I want you to take a moment, pray, and look back at your week and say, where did you see God moving? Because God's always moving. He's doing things. He's active in our lives. The question is, are we looking? He's there. He's speaking to us. He's doing things in our lives. Where is he? And so it was so cool to take a moment and just kind of look back at the week and then be like, oh, yeah, man, that, there was a really cool God moment that happened right here. Oh, yeah, that, man, God did kind of put that in my heart. I didn't, I didn't think about it, but that was totally the Lord. Or, you know, and it's just amazing how he's interactive. He's in our lives. But a lot of times we just don't see it because our eyes are everywhere else. You know, we're looking to the next thing that we have to do or our next responsibility or our next task, whatever it is. And so we miss those little things. And so I spy. I spy God. I, I encourage you. Play the game. It's fun. <laughs> but David played that game every single day. Where do I see him? Where is God moving? Every day, every context, every person, every season, he was looking for God. And when he found him, just like waiting in that deer stand, deer, dare, I said dare stand. Wow, I'm really okay. Deer stand. When he found him, what would he do? He would zoom in on him. He would magnify. He lifted him up. He exalted God. Every time he saw God moving, even in the smallest way or the largest way, he took that as an opportunity to give him praise and to make his name great in his own heart and among the assembly of his people and even among the nations. Any opportunity he could get to exalt God. And that's number four. He looked for every opportunity to exalt God. Every opportunity. 
Psalms 34, 1 through 5 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Man, that's so good. Isn't that good? David was searching for any way that he could give God thanks and lift him up in his life. No matter what the current condition of his life was, didn't matter how bad things were, he was looking for an opportunity to exalt God. Look at the context for which this psalm was written, Psalm 34. It's amazing. If you read in the text, there, there's like a little subtitle over psalms of kind of what they were, who wrote them, and the context for them writing them sometimes, especially David's psalms. Well, this psalm, Psalms 34, was written, it says, right after David escaped with his life from King Achish, right? And so this is an actual story. It's in 1 Samuel 21. We find this story. And so I want to look at just how bad this situation was that David wrote this psalm in, okay? So here's the context. David, at this point, is running for his life from King Saul. The king that's supposed to be a godly king who loved the Lord, right? God's people, right? Uh, he's trying to kill David, his faithful and loyal servant, who had served him as like the general of his army and won many battles for him, was super faithful to him in so many ways. And he was trying to kill him because he thought he was going to usurp his throne. So King Saul's after David. David's innocent, running for his life from his king, and then at this point, he's alone. He goes to a priest for food. He eats the showbread that the priest uses, you know, in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, right? It's supposed to be holy to the Lord. He takes that for food. He doesn't have a weapon. He doesn't have food. He gets Goliath's sword from the priest at that time, and so he can have a weapon. I'm sure that thing was huge. Anyways, so he gets that, and then he can't find refuge with his king, the one who's supposed to be God, the king of God's people, Saul, so he goes to a pagan king to find refuge from his own king. And this is where our story picks up. 1 Samuel 21.10 says, That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Okay, so just picture this, okay? This is David, right? The anointed to be king. And this amazing famous general... He's afraid for his life. He's alone in this territory of this pagan king. And he realizes, oh no, shoot, my reputation precedes me. <laughs> That's a bad thing. And they, they're going to take me out. So he starts acting insane. He's clawing at the, you know what I mean? Like just, he was acting nuts. And he's letting saliva run down his beard and going crazy. And I guess he does a good job because look at the next verse. <laughs> I love this. Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? 
Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> the sarcasm is so thick. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And so then in, verse, in chapter 22, verse 1, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So here's the context. He's running from his own king. He's got no food. He's got no weapons. He takes refuge with a pagan king. The guy figures out who he is. Then he has to act, he has to act like an insane person, a madman, drooling at the mouth and scratching on the doors and going nuts just to escape with his life. And he barely escapes with his life. The king believes his story. And then he is living in a cave alone waiting for his men. This is the context that he wrote Psalms 34. Now look at what it says. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I was afraid for his life. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. This is right after he has to make himself look like a madman in order to escape with his life. And yet, here he is, alone in a cave, barely escaped, and his words to God are, I will always extol him. Glorify God with me. Worship the Lord with me. He finds a way to glorify the Lord. Even in the darkest places. And this is why I want us to have these nights of worship on Wednesday nights. Because there's always a reason to glorify God. And let's exalt him together. So, We make seeing God our chief petition and request. He looked to God for his essential needs. He looked for God everywhere and everything, and he found him in his life. And then every time, he looked for every opportunity to exalt him. So I want to close with this. If we want to put seeking God at the center of our hearts, I believe it all starts with that prayer that David prayed in Psalms 27. Making that our greatest petition, our greatest request. Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to see you. I want to seek you. That's it. You're it. And we might not be there. Let's be honest. We not, might not be at that place in our life. Maybe we're still kind of discovering who God is. Maybe we're still kind of unearthing this passion and this hunger for the Lord. Well, then all the more reason to make it our request. Right? Let's ask God. God, make my heart hungry for you want one thing, 
Make it my desire to have one thing, to seek this one thing, to dwell with you, to see you, and to seek you. That's what I want. So we ask God to align our heart, to take all of our seeking energy and make it singular towards him. You know, that was the description of the early church in Acts. It says they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That word simplicity means single-mindedness. There's only one thing that they were seeking. Still had jobs, still had families. There was one, one passion in their heart. So I want us to take a moment. We're going to go back and worship, and we're going to just worship God again. We're going to take every opportunity to, to seek the Lord and to extol Him and exalt Him. But... Before we do that, I want us to pray this prayer in Psalms 27 together. So we're going to put it up on the screen. And this is a centering prayer. It's centering our heart on one, a singular focus, and that's Jesus. And for these next 14 days left of this time of awakening, I encourage you, let's, let's do our best to pray this every single day, to pray this prayer. And so... I want you, let's just pray this together. Everyone just all at the same time, we'll read it together. One thing I ask from you, Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in your house, Lord, all the days of my life, to gaze on your beauty, God, and to seek you in your temple. Let's read it one more time. One thing I ask from you, Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in your house, Lord, all the days of my life, to gaze on your beauty, God, and to seek you in your temple. Lord Jesus, will you make this the one desire of our hearts? Will you make all of our seeking energy singular and our focus on you? May we look to you for all of our essential needs. God, may we look for you in every area, every context of our life, Jesus. And Lord, as we find you, as we see you, God, will we make every opportunity, take every opportunity to exalt you, Father. We love you, Father. You are worthy of it all. And we give it to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And let's take this opportunity Let's worship the Lord as we close our service.
center of our hearts, Lord. Help us to join the angels in singing. Holy, holy, holy. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I loved what Jenny said earlier today, how this song is always happening. It's just continuously going on in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we can always, we can always join in. At any time, any place, we can join the chorus. Amen? I love you guys. You guys are amazing. Um, I love your hearts. I know that you guys are seekers. And I know that because we collectively are seeking the Lord together, God's going to reveal even more of who he is to us. And we're going to find him together. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Um, We'll see you guys next week, but also prayer tomorrow. You can be here 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., whatever works better for you. I'd love to see you here. And then Wednesday night, 7 to 8. Have a great week.